Good morning, Grandview. Let's open in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this day, for the things that we're going to learn, for the ways you're going to challenge us. May your spirit have the freedom in each of our lives to do the work you want to do today. Thank you for each person who is listening, and we just pray a blessing on them as well, too. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, if you would, in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 17. So can I ask you a personal question this morning? What's in the back of your clothes closet? What is in the back of your clothes closet? Now, before you start thinking, I thought I would bring some of my clothes and let you take a peek into my closet. I have two sentimental items that I have kept for many, many years. The first one is this shirt. It goes back to 1986. It says, Pastor Brian, preach it, bro. And this was given to me by the youth group at Bethany Baptist Church as I said goodbye to them to go to uh, a new job at the Midwest District as their camping director. What makes it, you cannot see it on the camera, but what makes this shirt so special is there are notes of appreciation all over the front and back of this shirt. So I've never worn this and I've never washed it because I don't want any of that ink to disappear. This sits in the back of my closet. The second piece goes all the way back to the year 1997 and you're saying how, how do you have well you understand why these are so special this is a shirt given to me at DC 97 in Washington DC where I had taken a group from this church and uh, near the end of that trip Jeremy Miller brought together all the youth and they collected money and they purchased this shirt for me as a thank you for what I had done to bring them to this conference. I, I wear this. This is denim. This is meant to be worn, but this has special memories as I remember those young people that we bonded with there in Washington, D.C. And so these are two sentimental pieces in my closet, in the back of my closet. However, also in the back of our closets are things that are not sentimental. They're often well-worn. They're soft. There's not something we would wear to church or even out in public. And so I brought, uh, you all remember this shirt. This is my Jonah shirt. I keep this in the back of my closet. And you've seen this recently there in a message. I better put this back because these are going to go back home. And then I have this favorite pair of slacks that I use that are have seen better, better days. Over 30 years ago, I purchased six shirts from Land's End. And you can't see this, but the fabric is beginning to disintegrate. And just two months ago, you can see that I use it for painting and I, I use this for cutting the grass. I had a, a twin to this one that was in far worse shape and I wore it out once. And when I came in, my wife looked at me and said, Brian, 
you have other shirts, throw it out. Well, I listened to her. That, that's, that was very positive. But it was like saying goodbye to an old friend because I had been through so many things with this shirt. And so this is the last of the Land's End shirts that I now have. And then I have my favorite painting sweatshirt. It just fits me. I know where it is. It's there in the back of my closet. And I pulled it out when necessary. I have no clue how old that is. I have, I have other sweatshirts. But that's kind of a favorite. I, I know some of you, I know one person in particular, that in their clothes closet they have three separate wardrobes. And I said, what, how, do you, how do you work that? And they said, well, I have my, my fat wardrobe, my transition wardrobe, and my skinny wardrobe. And over the space of about three years, they move from one to the other, and then they get, and they move back down to the other extreme. And they do this about every three years. So they rotate the wear through all of their clothes. What's in the back of your clothes closet? And the question really becomes, why do we hold on to grubby garments? Now, I did not say Gabby garments because she's, she's a fashion plate. But there's something comforting about slipping back into a well-worn piece of clothing that either fits you so well or it's so baggy it allows your body to breathe. Now, we would not be caught dead in public with one of these outfits. But in the privacy of our own home, uh, we can put on these grubby garments. Just like our back in the closet clothes, sometimes we put on comfortable patterns of sin. Sometimes we put back on comfortable patterns of sin. And in private moments, every now and then, we put on our filthy rags. And Paul is going to teach us today about that very truth. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 17. And he is going to now begin to teach us about our relationship to the world we live in. In the first part of Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 16, Paul taught us about our relationship within the church. We are to be unified, and we are to use our diverse spiritual gifts to serve one another within the body of Christ. But now he shifts, starting at verse 17. He shifts with the church being in the world. Why is that so important? Because in this world, there is temptation and defilement. See, we cannot leave this world. We cannot isolate ourselves from this world because we have a responsibility to witness to this world. But we must walk in purity and not allow the world to defile us. In Ephesus, where this letter was being written, it was the home to the pagan temple, Diana. It was one of the seven known wonders of the world at that time. And worship of Diana 
involved the worst immorality of the ancient world. It was degraded pagan religion. Every form of conceivable sin abounded there in this temple. And these people who were now being saved are coming out of this moral cesspool. And the passages that follow after the one today, starting at verse 25 of chapter 4, is going to amplify this passage that we're studying this morning. It's going to be further commentary, how to live in specific ways in a world that has gone morally bankrupt. So let's look at verse 17 of chapter 4. Let me read verses 17 to 19 for you. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. What Paul is describing here is the world's wardrobe. See, what does the world like to wear? What does the world find fashionable? And I'll tell you right now, based upon the word of God, tattered, soiled rags of sin. He is saying there in verse 17, don't walk as the pagans. Walk worthy of Christ. Do not walk as the unsaved pagans do. They have no moral sense about them. Now he's not talking about their worth. He's not talking about their dignity. He's not talking about their ability or accomplishments. Paul is rejecting Gentile or the pagan way of life. He's not rejecting the people themselves. He is rejecting the dominant lifestyle of that society, and can I also say, of our society. Those who reject life with God. This is Paul's plea to them and to us. Adopt a different lifestyle. And he's going to go on and list what the characteristics of that lifestyle looks like. The characteristics of a pagan lifestyle. And can I suggest this morning, to make it more applicable to us, these are also the characteristics of an American lifestyle. The culture we find ourselves in. And as we look at this list Notice it's not a list of specific sins. Don't do this, this, this. Paul is more concerned with the distortion and the disorientation that is happening within the mind of the pagan apart from God. The first word he uses there at the end of verse 17 is in the futility of their minds. Futility. See, the purpose of our mind is is to receive the revelation of God and then let that guide our conduct. But the pagan says no. They they adopt no useful aim or goal in life. It's, it's, 
it, Paul says it's futile to live that way because it leads to nothing. He's saying their lives are being wasted on worthless objects. The next word he uses in verse 18 and says they are darkened in their understanding. Darkened. A lack of worthy purpose rests on unclear understanding. And he is saying these pagans have an absence of spiritual understanding. They're incapable of perceiving spiritual truth. And we understand that sinners prefer darkness to light. And without light, to give them life and guidance, they are blind. Their darkness leads to spiritual blindness. And understand as you study the word here, their darkening is willful. They do not want to see the light. Thirdly, it says, because of the ignorance, excuse me, alienated from the life of God. I put in your notes, ungodly. Separated from the life of God. God is the source of light, which they are now rejecting because there's no life apart from God. So they're ungodly. Fourthly, because of the ignorance that is in them. The fourth word is ignorance. A lack of knowledge. This lack of knowledge that they are possessing leads to reprehensible behavior. Paul is contending that their knowledge did them no good in leading them into a lifestyle that pleased God. But as you study the word here, this is deliberate ignorance. Deliberate denial of the knowledge of God. They see it and they choose not to follow. The next word is found also in verse 18, due to the hardness of heart. Notice these words are taking this downward spiral into more and more degradation. Hard hearts, stony, petrified condition. It describes an inability or an unwillingness to respond to God's truth. They have an unwillingness to learn. This is a deliberate process on their part. One author says, hearts made insensitive to God have set off a chain reaction that turned out the light and leads to meaninglessness. Hard hearts, willfully hard hearts. He goes on in verse 19 to describe them as they have become callous. Many of us have developed calluses on our hands or on our feet over time. Here in this place, callus has the idea of past feeling pain. There, there's no feeling left whatsoever. They're shameless. There's a level of insensitivity to them. They have the inability to feel shame or guilt in the presence of continuing evil. They have completely lost their moral compass. They've lost their sensitivity to evil, and so they just go on sinning because there's no consequences in their thinking. There's no pain. He goes on after saying that they're callous. They've given themselves up to sensuality. 
sensuality. Indulgence in sensual pleasure unrestrained. A life without concern for personal standards or social sanctions. They, they have no concept of consequences for their actions. But notice in the text they have given themselves up to sensuality. This is not an accidental or, or reluctant fall into error. No, this is willful choices they are making to become more sensual. He then goes on to talk about to practice impurity. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Practice impurity. This covers numerous sins, but here primarily it refers to sexual sins. And they practice, they practice every kind of impurity. This word practice has the idea, a work of exertion. Those who are past feelings work hard at their vileness. And notice also in the text, they practice every kind of impurity. That means it's the widest possible scope of sin. They work, they extend effort to, so, so that they can accomplish enjoying these sin. But I left out a word in verse 19, the word greedy. Greedy. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That's the last word. And in this case, it means continual lust for more. See, these are people who are never satisfied. They immediately desire to acquire more and more. They demand greater and greater indulgence. These, these folks are fully self-centered. If I were to describe all these characteristics in just a couple words, I would call them morally stupid. Making choices with their life, paying the price without understanding what it truly will cost in the days to come. Morally stupid. Starting in verse 20 to verse 24, we are going to talk about learning in the school of Christ. Let me read those verses for you. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. But put off your old self, which belongs to your former way of life and is corrupted through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Learning in the school of Christ. See, life is different for the Christian. The world is not to define how we live. God, who created us, defines how we are to live before him. So what does this new life in Christ look like in verse 20 and 21? See, Paul doesn't link our beliefs and our behaviors to a code or a list. 
Paul links our behavior to the person of Jesus Christ. He has saved us. He has bought us out of the slave market of sin. And that obligates us to live in a manner appropriate to the Christ whose name we bear and whose life we share. We are to walk worthy. Since we live in him and since he is the truth, we have no excuse to live like unbelievers, like pagans. See, we learn to follow him as disciples as we have learned the gospel. And if you are listening this morning and, and you have never placed your faith, you, you understand you are wearing the world's wardrobe and you wish to change. You wish to have your sins forgiven. You wish to be part of the family of God. You can, by a simple act of faith, place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin. If that's not something you've done and you'd like to contact us here at Grandview, we would love to help you with that decision. He then goes on in verses 22 to 24 to talk about dressing for holiness success. And we talk about dressing for success and how our, our wardrobe is to match who we are and what we're to do in life. And Paul is saying our wardrobe should match God's holiness, his moral purity. He's going he's gonna to contrast our old being with our new being. Starting in verse 22, put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Take off. He is saying, take off the world's wardrobe. Put your former unsaved manner of life aside. Utter abandon any trappings of the former way of life that you once knew. Remove your old, ragged, deteriorating clothes. Throw them away. See, we take off what we thought was life by a deliberate choice and determined action. You must take off the old to put on something new. You cannot put the new over the old. It just does not work. We are to take our old self, deceitful, and understand what it really is. It's self-centered. It, it promises us joy, but it fails always to provide that. It is deceitful. Secondly, in dressing for holiness success, we are to allow the Spirit to renew your thinking. Verse 23, and to be renewed in the Spirit of your minds. This is essential. Understand this is a passive word which means, and I cannot do it, it is done to me. This is the step between putting off and putting on. Our minds must be renewed. See, we need to have our thinking restructured. And this has to be done by the Holy Spirit because our mind tends to continue to deceive us. 
See, as an adult, as an as a direct encounter with the love of God in the person of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God can now work in my mind to change it. But I must yield. I must allow the Spirit to renew my thinking. I must allow Him to challenge my thinking when all of a sudden I have old patterns and old clothes that are causing me to think things that do not reflect my new life in Christ. And understand in this one verse, there is this beautiful balance between God's activity in my life and my responsibility to work with it. Take off the world's wardrobe, allow the Spirit of God to change my thinking into more like Christ. The last verse, verse 24, put on the new self. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In your notes, put on grace clothes. Put on grace clothes. Notice, these are provided by God. It's grace. Our responsibility is to make a clean break with the past and throw out all the filthy rags for good. Allow my mind to be renewed. As that happens, I can see clothes from my old life for what they are. Deceptive. Degradating. falling apart. And God has said that this new set of clothes are created after the likeness of God. What a new creation. Righteousness and holiness mark this new life rather than sensuality, impurity, and greed. Now can I also suggest a corollary truth that comes out of this that dawned on me as I worked on this message. Go back to verse 17. Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Notice again what Paul is urging them not to do. He is saying, no longer live like pagans. Why? Because as I understood this passage, even Christians can backslide into these conditions that I, that I just mentioned. We can choose to put back on our grubby, comfortable, soiled rags of sin willfully. So do you have some in the back of your closet do you need to do some going through the hangers there and saying, what is, what is there? Do you need to see something that really shouldn't be there? And to say, Spirit of God, I choose to throw it away. I choose to be done with this piece of lifestyle that doesn't reflect my new life in Christ. Any one of us can have old clothes in our closet that the Spirit wishes us to throw away.
Would you listen to him this morning? What does this mean for us? Today you must make a decision. How will you live? Will you live with the world's wardrobe? Will you live with the world accolades for how you can get along in this world? Or are you going to live with new grace clothes provided by God himself? So the decision is yours. And maybe it's time for you to clean out the back of your closet and allow the Holy Spirit to renew your mind. Stop opting to put on the old, comfortable clothes of sin. See, we cannot be schizophrenic Christians living in the world and living in Christ. It doesn't work. You can't do it at the same time. And you have to make a choice to dwell in truth. So I'm challenging you, don't let the culture define your moral standards. Secondly, we must learn afresh how to think like God does. See, the world's reasoning is distorted. Their values are not our values. We need God's truth from his word to challenge our thinking every day. We must take time to think in communion with God because the world is constantly trying to squeeze our thinking into its mold. Instead, we need sensitivity to God and to God's people and to those around us and what the Spirit wants us to do. So why do I need to apply this? Because the pressures are against us to wear the world's wardrobe. We need you to become a model of what grace clothes look like. We need you to become a fashion plate of Christ-likeness. That's how we can encourage each other. We, we aren't doing it for our own ego. We're doing it so we can be models for others who are following behind us. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, as we examine our own closets as we see those comfortable pieces that we just keep going back to, may we analyze, are they the world's wardrobe or are they our new grace clothes? And Father, in those pieces that we have allowed to hang there way too long, may we confess to you May we repent of our sins. And Father, change our thinking by the power of the Holy Spirit. May we think your thoughts and have your values and live a life that is worthy of the person of Jesus Christ. Thank you that in the days and the weeks to come, you're going to show us new things that we need to hand to you to throw away. May we be willing at those moments, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.